0: Welcome to AM Best Audio.
1: The pandemic and increasing severity and frequency of natural catastrophes are spotlighting the need for parametric insurance. By 2031, the global parametric insurance market is expected to exceed $29 billion, according to Allied Market Research. Joining us now to discuss parametric coverage, what's driving growing demand, and future uses of the solutions are a panel of three industry thought leaders. They are Christine Brown, the Director of Captive Insurance for the Vermont Department of Financial Regulation. Melissa Hancock, Chief Operating Officer and Managing Director at Strategic Risk Solutions. And Fred Islami, an associate director at AM Best. Welcome everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. It's great to see you. you. Christine, Thank we'll start you. with you. What's driving demand of parametric insurance today, and what types of industries are increasingly purchasing the coverage?
2: Sure. Yeah. I guess um, I'll start with. I think what's driving the interest and the uptick in interest in captive insurance is is really what you mentioned um, at the very beginning, which is the the increase in um, frequency in the Nat Cat um, events that we're all experiencing, and what used to be a hundred year storm seems to now be a ten year storm. So, in Vermont. Um, we're primarily seeing the interest still around climate risk and climate perils, um, but that spans almost every industry that um, that we currently have in the captive space. So um, we're seeing healthcare using parametrics, um, energy sector using parametric contracts, um, some interest from agriculture sector, um, again, it's not widely used yet, but there's a lot of talk about it and a lot of interest. And um, I think just the need for capacity in this, in this space in particular um, is driving interest. And parametrics is a great solution to increase capacity and maybe fill gaps if there's exclusions in traditional insurance policies um, or just coverage isn't available. Um, parametrics can be used as a solution. So. That's what we're hearing and seeing in Vermont.
1: Great. So Melissa, how does it differ from indemnity insurance? And how is it being used today?
0: So I think the, the uh, parametric cover differs because it's really based on a trigger. Um, that's, it's a, little bit dif- a claim is a little bit differently identified than if it's a regular indemnity contract where you might get a, a claim um, or an incident reported and it may need to take a little while for that claim to be fully understood, maybe fully value it. Um, parametric insurance really relies on a third-party assessment of an incident, basically. So that might be there might be a trigger built into the policy that says when this um, occurrence, as uh, Christine said, mo- quite often now we have natural disasters that might trigger a policy, a parametric policy. And even though the policyholder doesn't um, doesn't have a direct loss yet, the trigger on the policy may have, um, created a claim, right? So it's very easy to understand if there is a claim, when there is a claim and how to value it. So I think that's a real plus with some of these coverages. Quite often, they're hard to value. Um, it's, a it's an advantage because instead of, um, having to value your losses at worst case, you really kind of have more of a, uh, of concrete evidence to base your claim valuation on. Right. So. Fred, are there any challenges or risks associated with
1: parametric coverage? And is there the potential for bias?
3: Well, you know, within the universe of the captives that we rate, uh, we haven't seen a widespread uh, use of parametrics. In my portfolio, I had one company that used parametrics in the earthquake uh, situation. Um, luckily we do have a department which uh, evaluates all these ILS and similar contracts and we are comfortable with that but uh, to the extent that I've seen uh, captives using parametrics the limits that they use in in these contracts are very uh, small relative to the capital that these guys have so from the rating uh, impact uh, is minimal to them but As we uh, go through conversations with the companies that we rate, we hear from them that uh, they're entertaining the idea of using uh, parametric contracts. Obviously, uh, from the rating perspective, again, our uh, preference is indemnity insurance and non-indemnity Uh, raises the basis risk because you know once you have that trigger and it does you know the the law the event doesn't reach to that uh, uh, trigger uh, the company I mean they have to pay Uh, so once it breaches that trigger then the contract will pay for that so that's the concern but again as I said you know uh, there are Thus far, there are limited number of captives using uh, parametrics, and we'll have to see if uh, these companies who are entertaining the idea of uh, utilizing ca- uh, p- uh, parametric contracts, you know, how they structure it, what are they basing the triggers on, etc.
2: One thing to add, I think, sure. to to the conversation about um, potential—I um, don't know if misuse or is the right term—but um, the mo- all of these contracts require an independent, like third-party verification of the event, and then they also um, typically, what I've seen is they have an outside party that does the calculation of the loss. So based on you know, say it's earthquakes, and it would be you know. Richter scale event and then there's a percentage like the lower the on the Richter the lower the amount that you would get paid so they they do generally have independent parties often governmental um, agencies that are um, part of the contract triggers to verify that an event occurred Um, at least in the contracts that we've seen which you know again like Fred said it's not widespread use yet but yeah.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. I think uh, the one I've seen in use is uh, within the agricultural coverages. Quite often, you know, we're gonna have, <clears throat> you have some livestock and there are diseases that may require you to destroy your livestock. So that's something that is hard to cover. It's hard to price how much that might cost. Uh, and the a parametric policy actually is in place that, that will trigger if the disease is getting closer, a certain amount closer to where your livestock are. So it was quite interesting the way it was structured. And there was more than one trigger. So it could be further out. And then as it gets in, more of the policy then starts to respond. So it was quite interesting because that's hard to cover. That's hard to price. It's hard to get commercially. It's quite expensive. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it's, you know, it's an interesting way to try to t- take care of the risk that you may or may not be having to pay for a right. uh, claim you may not pay right. for.
1: Well, Christine, can you tell us a little bit about the regulatory environment around parametric insurance? Sure. Um, well, there's it's a little
2: complicated, I think, because there's different um, regulatory bodies that are involved. So at the federal level, um, there's a commission, um, the CT FC the um, Commodity Futures and Trades Commission which has defined um, broadly defined a swap um, as a a contract that um, requires payment upon occurrence of an event Um, and you could broadly you could say that a parametric contract broadly fits into that description and definition and then it goes on to say that um, a swap is not considered insurance so you know if you're looking at that federal level that's where we start and then in vermont um, we've always allowed parametric contracts in captive insurers and we have some that have been doing it for years. Last year we um, actually updated our law in response to um, some VCIA members coming with um, an ask for us to explicitly allow parametric contracts in the law. So we we revised the law, enhanced it to explicitly allow for parametric contracts to be used. Um, we also Broadly defined, a parametric contract to be a contract where a, um, an event would occur, and then you'd get an automatic payout without requiring proof of loss. Um, and so, in those situations where there's no proof of loss required, um, we we're agreeing with the federal government, <laughs> of course, <laughs> right now, and um, and and saying that that really isn't accounted for as an insurance policy. So generally speaking, when the the contracts that we see in captives in Vermont are um, contracts that do require um, a certification of loss. So there is some level of attestation that you've incurred a loss in order for the payout to happen so if there is no loss there's no payment and in those cases um, the insurance companies can um, account for that contract as an insurance contract and there's different frictional costs associated with whether it's um, considered a swap or a derivative versus an insurance contract so that's kind of where that plays in Um, but I think it fits really nicely in the captive portfolio in that um, most risk managers um, look at the captive as a place to fund all of their risk management initiatives, whether it's insurance contracts or a t- derivative type swap where they're um, paying for, you know, a, a contract that will pay out in the event of an occurrence. So. Both are allowed in Vermont, it just is the nuance of whether we call it insurance or not. Um, And and really the risk managers have to look closely at the contracts, the triggers, um, and make sure the price and what, you know, the events and the triggers make sense for the risk that they're trying to insure. Right.
1: Right. So Fred, what are the other perils that parametric contracts could be used for?
3: Well, let me... Add to what Christine sure. said. I mean, as uh, regulatory regimes revise and enhance and improve on the regulations, the uh, parametric contracts themselves are getting more sophisticated. So, any um, uh, risk that is uh, called CATs, uh, CAT exposure, natural or man-made, could be a candidate for parametrics. Um, One good example would be, I haven't seen it yet, but, you know, it would be uh, cyber attacks. And specifically a DDoS attack, which the hours of uh, being out of business uh, can easily be measured by CISA or, or, or you know, uh, NIST, for example. So that's, that's an easy way to, you know, draft and create a parametric contract to at least cover that portion of cyber attack. Yeah. So Melissa,
0: what is the future of parametric solutions? <clears throat> um, I think it looks uh, very interesting. The, you know, it's 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 doing something that captives traditionally do, which is finding a solution for things that might be hard to manage or hard to um, do through a commercial market, right? So it's, it's fitting a business's need to cover themselves on their risk. Um, I also think it's going to be, uh, uh, positive for governance the risks and the claim values tend to be easier to understand or for everyone who's not an insurance professional that's on the board of directors um, the underwriting tends to be simpler The claims adjudication and payment simpler and quicker so I think it has a lot of uh, positives Absolutely. so
2: I, I, one thing I would add is um, sure. I think In addition to the frequency of events, we're also seeing, you know, a more digitized world where we have data at our fingertips. So I think that also plays into the fact that these contracts will probably be um, looked at and used more frequently just because of the technology that is out there and continuing to develop. So it's it's an exciting time, I think, but one where we're all or at least I, I feel like I'm still learning a
1: lot in this space, so. Yeah, absolutely. So do you see any big changes coming about to the coverage? Uh, are there additional risks or, or new uses for it? Maybe just looking ahead, anything that we might not be seeing yet?
3: Again, you know, from the rating perspective and the captives that we rate, we haven't seen any anything new recently. But as the world is going, out and companies educate themselves you know we've seen we have heard from the companies that we have we rate that there are discussions within the corporate department to use these types of um, contracts you know to replace the deductible for example for the captive or complement the deductible or you know the coverage so we'll have to see because it takes uh, a few years for this to go around and you know accepted by uh, the industry and to be used. So we'll have to see and wait.
1: Be interesting to watch, very exciting. Well Christine, Melissa, Fred, thank you so much for joining us. This has been wonderful, so informative.
3: Thank you. Thank you.
1: For AMS TV in Burlington, Vermont, I'm Lori Chortis.